I find the witch, may we burn her? Burn her! you know she is a witch? She looks like one. Yeah, yeah, she looks like one. Bring her forward. Not a witch, I'm not a witch. Uh, but you are dressed as one. They dressed me up like this. And this isn't my nose, it's a false one. Well, we did do the nose. The nose? And the hat. But she is a witch. That is, of course, a little snippet from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And that's the general tenor of the discussion for today on Just Cases. Religious freedom is all the buzz at the moment in Australia. The federal government's planned religious discrimination laws are due to be introduced into Parliament in October this year. Supporters of the legislation say the laws are necessary to protect religious freedom. Opponents say the laws are at best unnecessary and at worst a smokescreen to allow bigotry towards minorities. Most of the debate focuses on protecting the major religions, most notably Christianity. At least that gains the most amount of coverage in the press. But there's some religious groups who don't get any coverage at all. What if you're a witch? Or a Wiccan? A druid? A shaman? How does Australian law protect your beliefs and religious practices? How has our law treated you over the years if you're a conjurer or a psychic? A High Court case in the 1930s could provide the answers. This is Just Cases. And we welcome back Dr Luke Beck, our religious freedom expert at Monash Law. Hi, Luke. Hello, James and Melissa. Are you slightly concerned about our introduction? (coughs) Slightly. Uh, Your episode on funding of religious schools, which was episode 13, got quite a response. So you're backed by popular demand. And you have a cracking tale for us today. This story takes place in Queensland in the 1930s, 1920s and 30s, I believe. Uh, But we have to zoom back even further in time, don't we, to get a sense of where all the madness began. So how far back do anti-witchcraft laws go? Well, probably to biblical times, because the the origins of anti-witchcraft laws uh, come from the biblical command of thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And so... Uh, in England and other parts of Europe that followed Christianity, they enacted laws to implement biblical um, dictates. And in, in England, which is the, the legal heritage that we've adopted in Australia, they had anti-witchcraft laws. And the penalty for practicing witchcraft or being a witch was obviously to be put to death. And so you had um, witch hunts and witch trials all throughout Europe and North America. Hundreds of thousands of people, predominantly women, were put to death for allegedly being witches. In the late 1700s, they got a little bit more progressive and thought about updating the law. And they, in England, they enacted a law called the Witchcraft Act in 1796. Sounds progressive. It sounds very progressive. And so what made it progressive was the fact that it said that the penalty for being a witch is no longer to be put to death. It's a fine or in some cases to be locked in the stocks. Or nice. A... <laughs> They're so, left-wing radicals. Exactly. It's a little, it's a bit, probably a bit better than being put to death. And so when Australia was uh, colonised by the British, those laws were inherited into Australia. And over time, as the Australian colonies and then the Australian states updated their criminal laws, they included versions of this old witchcraft law. And that continued for quite some decades, up in, in fact, up until the 2000s. And so basically what this law said was that it is a criminal offence 
to practice any kind of witchcraft, sorcery, enchantment, conjuration, or pretend to tell fortunes. And the penalty was, in those days, a relatively hefty fine. So what I love about this particular case is that you got me on the hunt for a judgment that mentions the word witchcraft in it. (laughs) So we actually have a High Court case that talks about the Witchcraft Act of 1736. Correct. That is on the public record, people. So there's a case from the 1930s where the High Court of Australia, the finest legal judicial minds in Australia, turned their attention to the laws of witchcraft and sorcery and enchantment and fortune telling. And so the background to this case is that there was this uh, woman in Queensland by the name of Hanson, and she was allegedly, according to police and authorities, some sort of dodgy fortune teller trying to rip people off. So any relation? You said Hanson from Queensland. Uh, I am not sure. That would be really fascinating for some genealogists to investigate. Um, I would encourage them to do that, but I suspect not. But you never know. You never know. Get onto it, guys. And so this woman was convicted before a magistrate of pretending to tell fortunes. I want any excuse to go into some of the old school language of of, um, cases like this. So uh, the judge recounts the facts of this particular case that on the 18th of October 1929 in Brisbane, this woman, Margaret Hanson, uh, quote, endeavoured to impose upon a private individual, namely one Ruby Kingsley, by verbally falsely representing to the said Ruby Kingsley that she, the said Margaret Hanson, otherwise Madame Margaret, (laughs) had power and ability to foretell future events which would thereafter happen in the life of the said Ruby Kingsley with a view to obtain money from the said Ruby Kingsley. So here's where the proverbial hits the fan because Ruby Kingsley is actually a paid police agent. So Ruby goes to Madame Margaret's house on the sly and asks for her advice about her financial affairs, right? So about buying a business in Queensland. And, uh, and Madame Margaret shuffles cards. She looks into a, a crystal. She reads the palm of, uh, of Ruby Kingsley. And she says something along the lines of Ruby should sell her business and that she's going to have a, a relative who will die and leave her a fortune, basically. So bad misstep on the part of Madame Margaret letting a cop or a police agent into her house. Uh, so she's convicted of an offence. She has to pay a fine of £10. What, what happens next? She appealed and it ended up somehow, perhaps magically, in the high court. I'm not sure how she afforded to go to the high court, but she ended up in the high court and she lost her appeal and the conviction was allowed to stand. And one of the things the high court said was they clarified a little bit or confirmed what the law meant. So the way the statute has always been written is that it is a crime to pretend to practice witchcraft or sorcery or to pretend to tell fortunes. And so some an argument that people would sometimes put is that I was not pretending to practice witchcraft. I was not pretending to tell fortunes. I was actually doing it. So therefore, I'm just, I just fall outside mm. the statute. And the High Court confirmed that you can't make that argument because the legal position is that it's all nonsense. You, you, oh. you legally you are. Ne- so legally you are always pretending if you're if you're engaging that in that yeah, activity. Yeah. So th- which is kind of amusing, but also kind of odd because some people identify themselves religiously as Wicca or pagan or witches, however they want to describe themselves, and they honestly truly do believe that they are witches and that they are practicing witchcraft. 
etc. And so the law is kind of saying your central religious beliefs are objectively false. That would kind of be like saying a law being passed that says, you know, Jesus is not real. It's not really appropriate for the law to pass factual judgments yeah. on theological propositions And it's not like really that. consistent with the other, the later High Court authority that says that belief in a supernatural being is a fairly open concept. That yeah. was in the, um, the, Scientology the Scientologist case, case yeah. in the 80s. And, and the High Court had quite a broad view of what yeah. belief in a supernatural being concept yeah. or They took a really mean. broad view of what religion but could be. Does, yeah. But would that kind of overcome some of that, that very strict bit in this 1930s case maybe? Uh, well, not necessarily because we have a constitutional some limited constitutional protection for freedom of religion, but that only applies to federal laws. And mm. these are all state-based uh, laws. So the states are free to interfere okay. with religious freedom kind of as much as mm, they want. Mm. Although in practice today, that's they not don't, that's not, there's not much of it. You, these are, this is some really quirky stuff from mm. back in the day. So, so the High Court in this case of Hanson, so it's Hanson and uh, now I'm going to pronounce it incorrectly, is it Archdoll and Smith or Archdoll and Smith yeah. from 1930? The High Court says... It doesn't matter whether you had a strongly held conviction that the the fortune telling that you were doing was for real. It's still an offence. Correct. And you committed that offence. Correct. They dismissed the appeal, right? Yes, she lost the appeal. Okay. And so in a way, they've kind of removed that split. Isn't there a split in in our criminal law between your the mens rea and actus reus that you have to have the the action and the intentional mentality um, that you have to prove both yeah, elements. The prosecution has to prove that the accused had both actus reus and mens rea yeah. to make out the elements of the offence. So then, if you are, if the intention is actually one that is based on a conviction, uh, yeah. you, know, strongly you sincerely held- believe that that you're actually doing it. Well, she intended to do the act, and so the mm. question here was: Is the act actually doing it, or just pretending to do it? Mm. And the high court said we're not getting into the distinction between mm. actually doing it and pretending to do it. So she did intend to tell fortunes. She set up, you know, she mm. set up so- her fortune telling table and took money. Right, like, mm. she didn't accidentally do it. Like, she quite deliberately did what she did. So there was no question of lack mm. of intent, but she wanted to argue that the le- the way the legislation is phrased says pretend to practice witchcraft or sorcery, mm. pretend to tell fortunes, and so she, you know people would sometimes make the argument, well, I'm not pretending, I'm actually doing it. I'm really a witch, or I'm really a fortune teller. And the courts have and the, the courts have con- had consistently said, no, 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 you know you can't make that argument. That's not really what the statute means. But what if you really do have supernatural powers? Are you always going to be caught by this law then? Well, if you're a witch, yeah, or a sorcerer or a conjurer, you're doing enchantments or fortune-telling, yeah, under this law, you're guilty if you're taking money for it, yeah. That's a bit rough, actually. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Just Cases. We're talking to Dr Luke Beck from the Monash Law School. If you're interested in studying law, hop over to our website at www.monash.edu slash law. In, in roughly the 1840s, 1850s, right through to the early 20th century, there was a, a really sort of burgeoning um, interest in spiritualism and a real belief, a popular belief in the occult. Seances were popular, for example. There's, there's every chance that, uh, Alf, I mean, Alfred Deacon, one, our former prime minister, was a very uh, well-known spiritualist. And there's every chance that he, only a few years before this case, might have been uh, practicing a seance in the prime minister's office, but he might not have taken money for it. 
that's a good point. Mm. Does that amount? Is and and uh, and are seances sorcery or witchcraft, or are they something other than sorcery and witchcraft? There are some really inter- you yeah. could have some really fun legal arguments with this. Absolutely, yeah. and and in the in nineteen thirty, are our laws at that point kind of going in contravention to the way that society is hopefully becoming a little bit more. Tolerant, tolerant and, and open-minded open. about the variety of religious beliefs and practices that might exist in the community, no matter how odd or strange we might think mm. some of them mm. to be. And yeah, so that's a legitimate issue. And so in the late 1990s, the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission, which is now called the Australian Human Rights Commission, they did a big inquiry and report on freedom of religion in Australia. And one of the sort of sub-issues that they looked at in that inquiry and report was in fact these anti-witchcraft, anti-sorcery, anti-fortune-telling laws. And they heard, they got submissions from ordinary Australians and representative groups explaining that there are some people in the Australian community who identify as witches or wicca or pagan and who say that their religious practices and beliefs are criminalised by these old anti-witchcraft laws. And the commission said, yes, indeed, these laws are inconsistent with religious freedom. And they need to be changed. And so they made a couple of recommendations. Sorry, before you jump into the recommendations, where where were these laws actually on the books? Um, so in most states. So in Queensland, in, in Victoria, in Western Australia, in South Australia, in the Northern Territory, and in Tasmania. New South Wales had them, but they repealed them before this inquiry wow. took place. Yeah. So up until the late 19... They'd always appear in like the Vagrancy Act. In the Vagrancy Act or the, or the, or the Summary Offences Act, Act yeah. and that sort of thing, yeah. And so you could actually... It was a criminal act. A criminal act. And so does that mean it was attached to a prison sentence or a uh, fine? Or? Fines, yeah. That's crazy talk, isn't it? Uh, so, so uh, there was even, I understand, a criminalization of fortune telling. Yeah. Not just a not just a religious belief, but a belief in a whatever you want to call that. Yeah. In, I mean, for some people that might be religious. Like they, you know, their religion gives them this spiritual power to, you know, predict the future and explain the past. And you know, I feel like there are possibly other laws that could have been used if you. If you were, um, you know, fraudulently practicing fortune telling, you're pretending to be, you know, able to conjure spirits from the past and put it, people in touch with their dead relatives and you charge them a bunch of money for that and you're ripping them off. Surely we mm. have other laws yeah. that can take Exactly. Take, so there uh, are, there are, there are general criminal laws of obtaining benefit by deception and fraud and things like that. That would cover situations where people are essentially trying to take advantage of vulnerable people and or rip them off. So the general law of obtained benefit by deception of fraud, etc., would cover those sorts of situations. So if you're using these laws to catch, you know, dodgy fraudsters, it's kind of unnecessary. You can just use the general law of deceptive conduct and fraud to deal with that sort of thing. So that really takes you to the anti-religion or the anti. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's, an, there's another element. Yeah, there's a, there's there's sort of a religious element where it's hard at least originally targeting particular religious practices and these, you know, laws remain on the books and then the police and prosecuting authorities just sort of pick and choose mm. whichever offence is most convenient for them at the, particu- at the particular time. And so that's one of the things that the Human Rights Commission said. We don't need these laws to the extent that people are engaging in dodgy practices, ripping people off. The general criminal law can deal with that. Why do we have still in modern Australia laws that target quirky minority religious practices? 
And so the Law Reform Commission said, sorry, the Human Rights Commission recommended that the Federal Attorney General uh, pressure, uh, they, they made two recommendations. They said that the Federal Attorney General should first pressure Queensland and Victoria to repeal their laws, which criminalise, and I quote, the practice of witchcraft, fortune-telling, sorcery, and enchantment. That sounds very spooky. It does. What's uh, enchantment? Spells. Putting a spell on people. Okay. Put a spell on you. So, in other words, the, the commission is saying that it, is, it was, at that time, still a crime to put spells on people in those two states. Mm. And their second recommendation was is that... It just, does it talk about voodoo dolls? Because I've got a thing about that. Yeah, that would cut co- voodoo dolls would be covered by this okay. legislation. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah. And then their second rec- recommendation was that the Attorney General should pressure the other jurisdictions, Queensland, West Australia, South Australia, Northern Church and Tasmania, to repeal their laws criminalising the practice of fortune-telling. So I think these are some of the funnest law reform recommendations we've seen. You don't generally see sorcery and enchantment and witchcraft in law reform recommendations. Luke, you're a fun-loving guy. Let's I am. Pass it. So are these laws still in place now? I mean, can I, can I pull out my voodoo doll because I've got some grudges that I've got manifest. Well, yes, you can. So these laws have since been repealed. So that re- those recommendations were made in 1998, but the states did not act at that time. They kept them on the books. And so the- there had been uh, attempts to repeal these anti-witchcraft, anti-sorcery laws over time. But some politicians would get up in Parliament and say, well, no, 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 we need these laws to protect people from being taken advantage of, even though the Commission was very clear that there are other laws to deal with that situation. And so these laws were repealed relatively recently. So uh, in Queensland, the law was abolished in 2000 over the the opposition of some of the opposition MPs who said, actually, we still need this law. But it was repealed in 2000. In the Northern Territory, it was abolished in 2003. And Victoria, which is generally, you know, often thought of as a progressive state, was <coughs> probably the last jurisdiction in Australia to get rid of these laws. And so Victoria's anti-witchcraft law was uh, abolished in 2005. Goodness gracious. And just to just to be really specific here, an anti- the anti-witchcraft law is actually more of an anti-pretend witchcraft law? Or did it also target people who are legitimately... Witches, both. So the practice of uh, practicing witchcraft or pretending to practice witchcraft legally, there was no distinction. So if you were saying I am actually practicing witchcraft and casting spells and doing other stuff, the law would say you're only pretending. Where you're guilty. So is the asking for money thing the difficult part of it then? So the asking for money uh, applied to the fortune telling. Right. So the general. Not- so the general law of practicing witchcraft or sorcery or enchantments that was just general. So if you were doing it just At because all. that's your practice, you oh. were, you know, in your coven with your fellow Wicca witches and you're, you know, casting spells or doing whatever it is you're doing, that would have been a crime. That's Up until 2005 in Victoria. <laughs> yeah. In the report, there was quite an interesting comment that was made about how anti-witchcraft laws can have quite unintended bad consequences. An example of this uh, that they mention in the report comes from 1944. There's a woman by the name of Helen Duncan who practices a medium, and she was convicted under the Witchcraft Act. So, specifically, she was she was convicted for pretending to exercise conjuration and sentenced to prison. And, and this crazy thing that actually happened was that she conducted a seance and had contacted a sailor on a, a naval vessel who told the participants in the seance, quote, my ship has sunk. And the government decided that this was actually 
this could potentially, by conducting a seance, this could potentially breach, you know, at the time, national security and give away their locations, uh, the locations of, of British ships because they were planning for the D-Day landings in France. So she was actually thrown into jail. Well, so uh, so that case, you know, um, that, that case, among others, demonstrates that people genuinely did believe in witchcraft and the potential for sorcery and enchantments and witchcraft to actually have real-world impacts. So obviously the government and the prosecution authorities in that case genuinely believed that there was some sort of magic going on, right? These, so these are sort of, you know, serious, educated people believing this sort of stuff. You know, people, these laws were originally introduced, you know, back in the day because people genuinely did believe that witchcraft and sorcery was a thing. They really did put people to death because they really did believe these women were sorcerers and witches. And those laws, you know, continued. And were some of the people who were arguing against repealing those laws, you mentioned in Queensland there were some opposition MPs who who opposed the repeal of the laws on the grounds of, you know, uh, people are taking advantage of people financially, etc. But were they? Were there any people arguing against it because they believed, like you say, that witchcraft could be real? Well, uh, so I don't think people put the the view that we need to criminalise witchcraft because I genuinely believe that witches are real, etc. Because I think you know, in the two thousands, if you were a serious politician making that argument, that probably isn't necessarily going to go too well for your mm. reputation and profile. And I suspect that most people don't believe in witchcraft, but clearly some people still do believe in witchcraft, you know, i.e. those witches, the people who say that, you know, yes, I'm a wicker or a witch or Mm. or whatever it is. And so presumably there are other people who believe in that too. Mm. Now, people are still getting caught up in these old anti-witchcraft laws. Mightn't be in Australia, but there's a recent case, Luke, uh, overseas. Yeah, so in Canada, in one of their provinces, their laws were still on the books up until late last year. And so there was a case last year in 2018 where a couple of people were charged under their equivalent anti-witchcraft laws. So Canada inherited the same kind of English anti-witchcraft laws that Australia did. And so eventually those charges were dropped, but the police did in fact lay anti-witchcraft charges against a couple of Canadian women only last year. Let's bring this into uh, 2018, 2019. I mean, this is still very current. Currently, as we mentioned in the introduction, uh, there is uh, about to be introduced into Parliament new federal religious discrimination laws. How is this this old school anti-witchcraft legal regime relevant to today? Well, I suppose it demonstrates that when we're talking about religious freedom and religious discrimination and things like that, you have to bear in mind that it's not just about the mainstream, big, large religions like Christianity, etc. It also has to apply equally to small, minority, quirky religions. Otherwise, you know, it's not really religious freedom, it's religious favouritism. And so if legislation is drafted broadly, so it just says, you know, religions are protected or it's unlawful to discriminate against a person on the ground of their religion or absence of religion, that would cover small, quirky minority religions like this just as much as it would cover the larger, mm. more mainstream religions that we're familiar with. Has the the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission report from 1998, how have those recommendations been enacted among the states? And do the states now have sort of quite solid um, anti-religious discrimination Legislation, you know, is it holding firm, or is there a a need for more protections for religions across Australia? Well, so 
this is this is a way for me to get you. This is a sneaky way for me to get you to ask you whether you, you agree with the um the government's new uh, religious discrimination laws. Okay, Not fair enough. So sneaky. So every state other than New South Wales and South Australia has had on the books for many many years laws making it unlawful to discriminate against people on the ground of their religion. New South Wales and South Australia are the outliers in that case. Also today, we have under federal law prohibitions against discriminating against people on the ground of religion in the employment context. So any suggestion that Australia does not have religious discrimination laws is false. There are some gaps, but there are very clearly laws that are currently in use and that do in fact protect religious and non-religious people from that sort of discrimination. The federal government has released a an exposure draft of a religious discrimination bill. So it, that is subject to consultation and potential change before it gets introduced into Parliament. And then once in Parliament, it could be subject to further change and amendment. And that kind of has two parts. The first part of that bill is a stock standard anti-discrimination law that prohibits discrimination in all sorts of different areas against people on the ground of religion or lack of religion. And that's generally uncontroversial. People don't really have any problems with that. Then there's a second part of the bill that's a bunch of other provisions that that are in some ways quite strange and disconnected from your ordinary anti-discrimination laws. And, it, and those provisions do things like authorise offence, give people a right, a positive right, to engage in offensive and insulting conduct in the workplace motivated by religion. So if somebody's religion, you know, motivates them to believe that gay people are broken, uh, a, a teacher in a public school would have a right to say in class, I believe that gay people are broken. And if her employer tried to take disciplinary action against her for doing that, that disciplinary action would be unlawful. Similarly, in a payroll department, in a you know a trucking company, if one of the payroll officers said, you know, I believe Jews are Christ killers, you would not be allowed to take disciplinary action against that employer. There are other provisions that allow healthcare professionals, doctors, pharmacists, nurses, podiatrists, all sorts of healthcare professionals to refuse to provide healthcare services to people if they have a religious objection. So that would allow doctors to refuse to perform abortions. That would allow pharmacists to refuse to fill prescriptions for contraceptive pills for teenage girls. It would allow even a physiotherapist to say, well, I have religious objections to to the existence of trans people, so therefore I'm not going to do your physical therapy on on your dodgy knee. And so those are the provisions that are controversial. So we went from, you know, kind of regular law on, on non, non-discrimination to quite, quite extreme laws about being able to discriminate against people really fast there. Yeah. So they, and so this is just an exposure draft. Yeah, but so still. It, so I imagine it will be tweaked yeah. before it gets introduced into parliament. But how far it will be tweaked, we don't know. And then once it gets into parliament, it depends what the Senate does mm-hmm. in terms of trying to change some Yeah, but of the, then you just become subject to this mad kind of law bargaining process yeah. through and, the parliamentary process. And the other thing with the federal draft bill is that it seeks to override state anti-discrimination laws. Mm. So, so to the extent that people in every state other than New South Wales and South Australia already have protections against religious discrimination, this law would alter that. Mm. And it also overrides other discrimination laws generally. So the Federal Race Discrimination Act is altered, the, is overridden the Federal 
Disability Discrimination mm. Act is overridden, etc. So now, it's quite an unusual... Was that called for in the, the inquiry into religion? No. So last year we had a, a Religious Freedom Review led yeah. by the former Attorney General, Philip Ruddick, and that report, that review concluded that Australia does not have a problem with religious discrimination. There might be a case for enacting a federal law prohibiting religious discrimination to operate as a gap fill, a gap mm-hmm. filling device. Mm. But that report did not call for the introduction of the, that second part of, of what the government is proposing with the, all these quite unusual and so strange provisions. So is this provisions. one of those manufacture outrage situations? Um, and then, you know, like I've made a catastrophe and then I kind of come back and I only have a small catastrophe? I, I suspect this is probably more offering a consolation prize to groups like the Australian Christian Lobby, etc., who feel that they have lost things because of the existence of same-sex marriage. And when we say things like that, we have to make sure that we don't pretend that the Christian lobby represents ordinary Christians. They are just uh, one group of people and they represent their own particular brand of Christianity. I don't think you should say that all Christians believe that because we know that they don't because we know from the postal survey that the vast majority of Christians voted yes. So this really feels like horse trading on people's human rights for the basis of some political lobby groups that have influence somewhere. And, and factional issues within yeah. governing political parties, yeah. It, 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 so this is, you know, part of the bill is stock standard anti-discrimination law and is unobjectionable and uncontroversial. Then you've got all the other really strange stuff that I think we need to think about a yeah, lot more carefully. Yeah, and also, look, if you, twist, if you turn that around, I mean, so would this mean a person who has a religious belief in veganism... Uh, is allowed to stand outside a hamburger shop and you know abuse, shout abuse at people going in to buy hamburgers because they're killing animals and you know eating the animal product and it, that is from their religious belief. If right? it's religious and yeah. as long as it doesn't rise to the level of vilification, so the bill doesn't <clears throat> authorize vilification, but it does authorize insults and offensive mm. conduct. And of course, conservative Christians will be on could be on the receiving end. This isn't just conservative Christians have a right to mm-hmm. do X. It's anybody has a right to do that mm. if it's motivated by mm. their religion. So if you're so, you know if you're a quite fundamentalist Protestant, for example, you might want to say offensive and insulting things to and about Catholics mm. at work, and your boss would have no power to stop you from doing Seems that. Seems like a retrograde step. Just saying. Uh, these are that's politics. The the similarity between this current religious freedom measures um, in 2019 and getting back to our 1930 case is basically <laughs> if you can fundamentally believe that what you are doing is motivated by your objectively true religious belief whether it is telling fortunes as a fortune teller who has the power in 1930 or as a person who has received, you know, a message from God that uh, insert offensive line here about any group um, in society who you disagree with, that on the one hand, you're not able to practice your witchcraft belief in 1930, but on the other hand, we're still having this debate, and uh, and in 2019, you seem to be able to say whatever you want, as yeah. long as you can say it comes from above. Yeah, uh, so uh, when the anti-witchcraft laws were repealed, the logic underlying the repeal was tolerance and pluralism. We should all live and let live and get on and, you know, try it to the best of our ability to live together harmoniously. And I'm not sure that same logic underlies <laughs> the unusual parts of the government's bill. We shall wait and see. Peace, love and understanding, guys. <laughs> here, here. Luke Beck, thanks so much for joining Just Cases. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Luke Beck's new book, Religious Freedom and the Australian Constitution, Origins and Future, is out now with Routledge. And it's a cracking read. Oh, it is. It's a good one, let me say. 
The book opens with the story of a bricklayer being sentenced to a spell in the stocks for the shocking crime of working on the Sabbath in Sydney. Actually, a plug, if you do want to hear a little bit more about that stock story, check out episode 13 of Just Cases. Luke gives you a little bit more background to that fascinating story. And thank you to everyone for all of your reviews, subscriptions, and, uh, and follows on the socials. Uh, we've had a bunch of really lovely reviews on Apple Podcasts and lots of five-star ratings since we asked for them. So you guys are the best. Thanks so much. If you haven't written a review yet and you're an Apple Podcast listener, do go ahead and, and write a short, snappy one. We'd love you forever. It pushes us up the charts to get in front of more and more people. That's the way that we can make the show trend. Tell your friends. Mention us on socials. Our Twitter handle is at just cases show and you can check out all the other episodes that we have at justcasespodcast.com catch you later